Wealth Tactic Rebels, ingenious tactics to accumulate wealth for people who see things differently. Welcome to another discussion with Wealth Tactic Rebels, the podcast for people who see things differently. I'm your host, Kevin Dumont. You know, I've been thinking differently in the wealth field for nearly 15 years now. Today, we have a guest with us, uh, Mark Green. Mark, how are you today? I am awesome. Thanks for having me, Kevin. <laughs> Great answer, Mark. Love having you here today. Thank you for joining us. Well, Tactic Rebels, you know, whether you are in a position right now where you're a CEO of a company, you're an entrepreneur of a small business, or you just, you know, have a regular nine to five career, wherever you are, whatever kind of person you are in between all those, getting things done in your day to day life can be a struggle. Today, we're going to talk a bit about that and about what's holding you back and to help you better understand what we call motivators are and what activators are and how to use them to your advantage. Now, Mark Green is a strategic advisor and coach at Gravitas Impact Premium Coaches and author of Activators, a CEO's Guide to Clearer Thinking and Getting Things Done. Thinking right there, that's already a well-tactic level way of going. So um, he helps people, CEOs and other teams worldwide. He's driven by relentless passion to liberate human potential. And he's addressed coaches and advised thousands of business leaders across a wide range of industries over the past 15 years. I can keep going on, but I think Mark's words about himself will do more than <laughs> what I can say. So Mark, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about where you came from and what inspired you to get to where you are today? Absolutely. Thanks, Kevin. I um, trace my path to where I am today all the way back to probably middle school and certainly high school, where I was always the guy that people talked to. For whatever reason, everyone was comfortable talking to me, and I cut across the demographic, all the cliques. I cut across everything in the schools that I was in, and I certainly had a good circle of friends, but it wasn't like that was limited. And there was always something that I was able to do in being there for people, listening to people, and helping them think a little differently about what it is that they were wrestling with. And I think that planted the seed that ultimately sprouted into where I am today. And of course, as, as I'm sure you and your listeners know, it's never a straight path to get there. I went on to university. I went on to work some corporate jobs in the large corporate sector and, and then actually for some small companies before I launched my own business now about 16, 17 years ago. And the first iteration was as a leadership development training company. And that evolved. And about nine years ago, I started the coaching practice that it's the current version of the coaching practice that I operate today, where I coach CEOs and their executive teams running high-growth mid-market companies. Fundamentally, the work that I do is about helping develop them as leaders. And the dirty little secret is a lot of that is helping them figure out how to get the heck out of their own way. <laughs> I say that all the time when I'm driving down the roads, <laughs> but I can imagine what it is in business, though. Getting out of their own way. Well, you know, it sounds like it's a little bit about like the wealth tactic rebel belief of avoiding losses, because right? if you first fix the whole problems, plug the hole, so to speak, then things will be better down the road. You, ha you know, you have more of whatever it is you're trying to achieve. So I guess we'll start with motivators. What exactly is a motivator? Well, let me back up another step there. So in my book, Activators, I've identified three hidden growth killers, which are the things that operate below our conscious level that have a profound impact on how we think and therefore the kinds of results that we get. 
And the three hidden growth killers are motivators, habits, and beliefs. We'll talk about motivators first. And a motivator is essentially something that is an impetus to act. There are two primary motivators that explain all behavior in the animal world. One is fear, which should sound pretty familiar. You know, that's a motivator to move away from something or get less of something. And the other is inspiration, which is a motivator to move toward something. You could think of this as fear and love. You could think of it as fear and inspiration. But the bottom line is those two things, no matter how you describe them, explain every animal behavior on the planet. I'm either trying to get less of something bad or more of something good, and that explains all behavior away. And so in the book, what we've done is taken the motivators of fear and inspiration and unpack them a bit so that we can understand how they actually operate and what levers we have as leaders to be able to essentially become more conscious of how this works within us and therefore more able to control how this unconscious thing can affect us in a more conscious way. Right. Okay. So subconsciously, fear and inspiration is affecting us all in the decisions and the actions that we take on a daily basis. So fear. Why don't we talk a little bit more about fear? Because I think that is commonly misunderstood. Yeah. A primary question could be, well, how do you know that you're being dominated by a fear? Okay. Because it's not always as simple as somebody's got a gun to your head. And that's a total exaggeration. But but the point is, it's not always obvious, right? And so I have five symptoms that I've identified that are pretty good indicators that you've got fear dominating your thoughts. And by the way, if you're out to accomplish something significant, coming from a place of fear is never going to get you to the best answer and best set of possibilities, just to lay it right on the table. So it's not necessarily a good thing. Here are the five symptoms. Uh, The first is a tendency to move away from loss rather than toward gain. And so it's this idea of I'm afraid of what's not going to happen more than I'm willing to go after what I want to have happen. That's definitely a symptom of fear. So for example, if, if you're afraid that you're doing special things to retain a key employee because you're afraid they're, you're going to lose them, okay, that's a fear-based activity as opposed to moving toward scaling your business, even if you have to realize that the business ultimately is going to be way bigger and more significant than any key employee happens to be today. Number two is procrastination. If you're putting something off, usually somewhere underneath it, there's a fear that's going on that's contributing to it. Number three is what I call the flip-flop. And that is, we talk today, Kevin, and I say, yes, let's go do this thing. We're going to go do this thing. And then tomorrow I call you and say, you know, Kevin, I don't think we should do that thing. And somebody whispered in my ear or something happened overnight that caused me to reconsider. And oftentimes there's fear behind that. The fourth is unreasonable continued sacrifice. Okay. This is that you are putting up with something. You're tolerating something that you shouldn't really be tolerating. And you're continuing to tolerate it because you're afraid of something. And by the way, this is often the case with an advisor. So it could be a financial professional. It could be a CPA, an attorney, a coach, where you're sort of like not that happy with them, but they're the devil you know, so you put up with them. And it prevents you from actually opening up the possibility that there's, a, there's somebody else out there who's a better fit for you. 
And again, there's a fear behind that. And, and in this case, it could be the fear of the unknown as opposed to being able to tolerate what we know. And then the, the fifth symptom of fear is in your gut, you know you're doing the wrong thing. And this is where it's actually conscious. I know I need to change my banking relationship, but, and then I'm going to give you five excuses why. Okay. So I already know I'm doing the wrong thing, but I'm using logic to justify the wrong thing. And there's usually a fear behind that. Okay. Makes sense. So we've got the five points of fear here. So I think that fear is something that people are often blind to, right? They might not know what's going on, but we've got some points now that they can help guide them to figure out if they're thinking that way. Now, if they're thinking that way, what's an activator? What can they do about it? So activator number one in the book, no surprise, is reduce fear. And there's a few things that you can do to actually help you with this. Number one is slow down. What I mean by slow down is slow down so you can disengage a little bit of the emotional content and engage more logic content. If I sat down with you and really asked you a bunch of very logical questions around something that you were afraid of, it wouldn't take very long for you to realize that the probability of the event that you're afraid of is infinitesimal it actually becomes a little bit ridiculous in understanding logically why it is that you're still afraid. So slowing down is a key, key thing. The other is this concept that I've created around not being the most expensive house in the neighborhood. And this is really important. When I was buying my first house, my grandpa Ben gave me some advice. He said, Mark, whatever you do, don't ever buy the most expensive house in the neighborhood because there's only one way that the other houses are going to end up affecting your property value over time. It was great real estate advice. And so I proceeded and I took his advice, Grandpa Ben's advice, and it was great. It wasn't until about a decade later in a business context that I realized that he wasn't just giving me business advice. Because I was at a place in my professional practice where I had become the most expensive house in my professional neighborhood. And what was happening was the people around me weren't helping me grow. Now, I was helping them, and that felt great from an ego point of view, but I didn't have anyone to help me grow. And one of the ways to reduce fear is to change your neighborhood and actually hang out with people who are at a higher level than you or at a more sophisticated level than you who have already walked the journey that you're afraid of or that you're contemplating. And you will benefit from their experience and you will be encouraged by the possibility from them as opposed to the people around you in the current neighborhood who are probably complicit in the same set of fears that you have. And if that's the case, nobody's going to help you move forward and you're just going to kind of just stay there, right? That's another really useful idea for how to manage fear. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, that's similar to when I was younger, similar. <laughs> my mother had given me advice kind of like that, which was based on friends. That was her experience, right? Was that don't hang out with people who aren't what you want to become. Exactly. You know, you are. It's like birds of a feather flock together. You become whatever you're hanging around. So if you're looking to achieve something more, become something more than what you are, gravitate to hang out with those people. Yeah. And I see this as a big issue affecting CEOs all the time. They're hanging out in their comfort zone networks. They're not really pushing themselves forward and asking, you know, who are the 10 people on the planet that can help me get where I want to go? Because they're already way past that point. 
and how do I start my networking into going to find those people and start talking to those people and meet those people? And it's a radical departure from the normal approach because, you know, we've got these peer groups. Well, okay, but the word peer has an implication. I'm not saying that they're not useful, but you have to be careful that you don't also continue to upgrade your neighborhood over time. Right. Makes sense. So nothing wrong with hanging out with your peers, but make sure that you spend more time changing neighborhood. Yep. Hang out with people who've already done what you're about to do or right. people who, you know, you're in the right place when your, your ego is at risk. When you're hanging out with people in a particular domain who yeah. put your ego at risk, you're hanging out with the right people. I like that. That's a good point. Could be a humbling experience. Should be. You Should bet. be. There you go. All right. So I think that brings us on to, to the next point, right? Inspiration. Because we're talking about the people who are somewhere more than we are. So there's inspiration. So let's talk a little bit more about what inspiration is and what it does for us. Yeah. So it's the other side of the coin, right? Relative to motivators. And it's about the pursuit of something that we want more of. There's some really interesting research on the relationship between fear and inspiration. It was gambling-inspired research. But what it shows is that we actually weigh a loss twice as heavily as we weigh a gain. And so if you have a fear, so the formula in the book is that you've got to get your level of inspiration to be at least twice the level of your fear in order to move off the dime. So it's not just a matter of, oh, okay, I've got this fear over here, so I can get some offsetting inspiration over here, and then I'll be good to move forward. It doesn't work that way. It's got to be twice the amount of inspiration to get you off the dime based on what the research showed, which is pretty fascinating. And in inspiration, we get into this idea of purpose and the why behind what it is that we're trying to do. So, for example, I'm sure you run into this all the time, it's useful to take somebody who's of a frame of mind of, well, you know, I want to save for retirement and help them understand, well, well, why is it important to you to save for retirement? Like, well, because, you know, I want to travel around the world and I want to live this great life with my spouse and I want to create a legacy for my children and I want to set a good example for... And all of those things are the purpose, right? Which drives up the inspiration. And so ironically, when we want to reduce fear, we decrease the emotion and we increase the logic. When we want to increase inspiration, we decrease the logic and increase the emotion. It's the exact opposite process. And they work together, again, like two sides of a coin, but it's very useful to have your hands on the control because it gives you the ability to overcome these processes that occur below your conscious thinking, bring them to consciousness, and actually get off the dime on the things that are important to you. Yeah, makes sense. I get that. I, you know, we're talking, I can just kind of think in my head how those two fit together and one can pull each other. So it sounds like almost like a balancing act. It is. I, I think it's going to bring us to our next point there because you're talking about the emotion side. And I think emotions and, and actions are largely influenced by uh, what you talk about in your book is, is beliefs, right? How our experiences, our beliefs affect choices and actions. So let's talk a little bit more about how that works. 
I found a really interesting researcher by the name of Philip Zimbardo. He's a professor emeritus at Stanford University, and he did a ton of research on what he calls time perspectives. And it's this idea that we have these beliefs about our past, about our present, and about our future that have a profound impact on our experience in life and on our ability to make decisions and choices for ourselves. And again, all of this occurs typically below the conscious level. And so we'll take the past, for example, and there's two orientations, a past positive and a past negative. Have you ever had the experience where two friends of yours went on a trip together? Let's say they went to Key West and they came back from Key West and you were talking to them and you said, hey, how was your trip to Key West? And one of the people says, oh my God, Kevin, it was the best trip ever. We were at the beach, the sun shined. It was like just this amazing trip. The other person said, you know, Kevin, the trip wasn't that great. We had a really bad meal Thursday night and it was really windy on the beach. And also the people we met weren't that great. You ever had that kind of experience where you have two people? Yeah, completely opposite. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And you got to ask, well, wait a minute. They witnessed the exact same thing. They were together. They had the same experience. So what makes the difference? And the difference is their past orientation. And here's where this matters to us as decision-making human beings. If you have a past negative orientation or you had an experience in your past that was a bad experience and you're presented with a decision today that causes you to remember that bad past experience, it could very well cause you to not make an optimal decision today. Okay, This is like this idea that I got bitten before and so I'll get bitten again. Even though circumstances have changed, it might be a different decision than it was then, all kinds of things could have changed, but we're still going to be anchored to that past thing. And what you have to do is, is actually reframe your past and essentially re-remember that event and find the positive things that happened in that event. And this is actually activator number seven out of the eight activators in the book. It's called Leverage Your Past. And it's this idea of being deliberate about identifying what was the past event that was a negative event that I still carry with me like a baggage, right? And going back, and, and I, I created a tool to help do this, going back and actually re-remembering the event and finding the positive things that have occurred as a result of that event, not just the negative things. Okay. And what it does is it helps you today become much more effective. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. Negativity breeds negativity, right? So that's not going to be helpful towards being more productive to getting things done, so to speak. So if you change that perspective, I remember back in college having a class where we spent a lot of time talking about perspective and how just the way that you think about something completely changes what it is. It really makes a big difference. You can turn that whatever situation into something that can help you instead of hurt you. Yeah. So anyway, that's the past element of Zimbardo's time perspectives, which I, I think is particularly relevant to your listeners. Absolutely. Thinking differently. <laughs> it's right there with it. So Wealth Ethic Rebels, you're already thinking differently. Remember this. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about behavior. I think what goes along with, with beliefs, when you talk about changing the way you're thinking, you know, now we need to change behaviors that we're doing to be able to achieve, correct? Mm-hmm. So... What are we talking about here with behaviors? What are they, how do they hinder us and how can we capture the, 
the good side of that to help us get things done. Yeah, and so if we're taking the time to fix our hidden growth killers, our motivators, our habits, and our beliefs, ultimately nothing happens until we behave, we do something, we act, right? And so you also have to be a bit of a student of behavior change to understand how to get this last piece in action. And I blow this out in the book in great detail. I'll give two great examples of behavior change tactics, very specific tactics. So there was a study that was done in Germany in 2001 on drug rehab patients who were at the end of their rehab program and needed to write resumes because they were going to then go out and into the workforce. And the researchers split the, the rehab patients who were ready to write resumes into two groups. One group, they said, we want you to hand your resume in at the end of the day today. And that was it. The other group they said, what we want you to do is write down this statement. And the statement says, when I finish my lunch, then I will spend time writing my resume. And we want you to hand your resume in by the end of the day. That's it. Those are the two groups. That's the difference. Okay. So amazingly, 0% of the first group turned in their resume at the end of the day. 80% of the second group turned their resume in at the end of the day. Now, that's striking. It wasn't zero and 20 or 30%. It was zero and 80%. And the only difference is they wrote down what's called an if-when-then statement. It's a statement that very simply says, when this happens, then I will do that. And it's a great thing to do. So for example, let's say that you're trying to be more active and exercise a little bit more, and you decide that you're going to take a walk after lunch every day. What you should do is write an, an if-when-then statement that says, when I finish my lunch on weekdays, then I will go outside and take a 15-minute walk. Okay, And just the writing down of that intention stacks the deck in favor of your behavior change. So it's a really interesting hack that has some powerful research behind it as to its effectiveness. You know what? Makes sense to me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm just thinking about, thinking back to things that I've learned about you saying the if and when. <laughs> God, I think the first time I heard that was in math class, I think in high school. <laughs> and um, when I got into college, I was, I went to what they call a learning achievement center to try to better learn how to learn according to my mm -hmm. learning style. This was a, mm -hmm. a new thing when I was in college. I remember them teaching me about you know, when you're in class, you need to become, in order for it to be committed to your memory so that you can remember it, you need to, I was never big in taking notes, you need to take notes. But if I'm taking notes, I can't pay attention. So, okay, well, what you got to do is you got to write down the specific details of what you want to know. I think it's the same thing. When you, it was just the act of writing it down. I found that just writing it down, all of a sudden, it was committed to my mind, and I knew it, and it was something that I could just recall and do. Yeah. You want one more behavior change technique? Let's talk about another one. One more. One more. So there's two ways to change your behavior. One way is to think your way into being, and the other way is to be your way into thinking. Okay. Both will work. Now, thinking your way into being is kind of like you've heard about affirmations and that whole thing. And it's sort of like this idea that if I think about something and put thoughts in my head enough, then over time, I will come to embody those thoughts. And the good news is, is that works. Okay. The bad news is it can take a long time 
And uh, quite frankly, it can also require the expenditure of quite a bit of energy to make it happen over time, right? So let's look at the other one, to be your way into thinking. This is more like what the good folks at Nike have us think, is just do it. Just this idea that you know it might be a little uncomfortable, but if you just do the behavior, then it's going to be a much, much quicker path to actually learn it, master it, and become it than just by kind of thinking your way there. And then the other benefit is you also get the result faster. For example, just because it's a great example to use, so take sales and cold calling. You could say, okay, let's do affirmations because you want to be confident in your cold calling, right? Or I can say, you know what? Pick up the phone and make 10 calls today. And then at the end of the day, let's talk about it and let's see what we learn. And then tomorrow, I want you to pick up the phone and make 10 more calls. And by the way, if you have fear around that, I'm going to talk to you about, well, okay, but what's the emotion? How do we decrease the emotion? How do we increase the logic about why it makes sense to make these calls? What's the worst possible thing that's going to happen? Somebody's going to hang up on you, right? Does that mean you're a bad person? Does it mean like the world is coming to an end or you're going to lose your job? Does it mean any of those things? And what's going to happen is by doing the behavior, you're going to adopt the mindset of a cold caller much more rapidly than going the other path. It's like making it into a habit, essentially. It is. And it's just being willing to acknowledge that I must be uncomfortable right. in order to master this. And it's actually the fastest way to get there. So that's the other thing for people to be really mindful of is dispense with all of the preparation and all of the mental massaging that you think you have to do to build your confidence and just actually go do it. Just go do it. And if you don't know how to go do it, find somebody who does it and interview them and ask them specifically to describe to you how they do it, and then just go imitate them and do it. And it's the fastest way to get it done. Sounds good. Good advice. So before we close today, I'm going to ask you for what we call a value bomb. But with the Wealth Tactic Rebels spin on this, because we start with that belief of let's first avoid losses before we start going to chase something. So in your experience, what's something that our Wealth Tactic Rebel listeners could look to avoid and then maybe something they can do about that? Mm. Something you could avoid is living in your comfort zone. Mm. This has applications all over the place. It could be the comfort zone of your financial world and your financial decisions. It could be the comfort zone of your peers and the people you're surrounded by, like we talked about changing your neighborhood. It could also be the comfort zone of the books and reading that you do. If it's only in one particular genre, you know, is that really rounding you out? Or even the comfort zone of your own region of the country or your country, as opposed to deliberately putting yourself into different cultures and environments and, and things to expand who you are. Yeah, makes sense. Excellent advice. I agree with that. Thank you, Mark. Now, before we go today, is there anything else you'd like to uh, share with our listeners? Yeah. So if your listeners are interested in connecting with me, you can find me on LinkedIn at Coach Mark Green. And I'm pretty active on LinkedIn in terms of two to three pretty content-rich posts per week. You can look up my book, Activators, at activators.biz. It's available on Amazon. It's on Kindle. And it's on softcover, Kindle, and Audible as well. And finally, you can find my coaching website at mark-green.com. Excellent. Very good. And of course, we're going to put all of Mark's information that he just talked about. We're going to put that all on the show notes page for today's episode at wealthtacticrebels.com. You can find our uh, activators 
or What Activates You episode with Mark Green. And um, while you're there, uh, you can click on the Facebook link. I'd really appreciate Wealth Tactic Rebels if you could go to our Facebook page and share with us what you think about today's episode and any questions you might have for Mark or myself. I want to thank you again, Mark, for your time today. I appreciate your valuable knowledge and sharing it with our Wealth Tactic Rebel listeners. Hey, thank you, Kevin. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And thank you, Wealth Tactic Rebels, for joining us today and have a fantastic day. Want to really see things differently? Take our course in Genius Tactics 201, where we teach you all the wealth accumulating tactics with detailed real-life examples, see your progress with quizzes and a certificate of completion. For course details, visit WealthTacticRebels.com. Sign up today and start seeing things differently. This presentation is intended as informational only. Information presented does not consider your particular financial objectives, risk tolerance, time horizon, or other unique circumstances, and does not constitute a personalized recommendation or replace the advice of a financial, tax, or legal advisor or other qualified professionals. Do your own research and do not use the information of this presentation in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional. To the best of our ability, we provide content that is accurate as of the date of release. However, we give no assurance or guarantee regarding its accuracy, timeliness, completeness, or applicability. We assume no liability for the information of this and related presentations.